This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Trudeau government's online censorship law passed the final stage of voting in the Senate receiving royal assent and becoming law on Thursday evening. CBC President Catherine Tate requested a meeting with Conservative leader Pierre Polyev to discuss Polyev's pledge to defund the state broadcaster. As public servants continue their protests by disrupting public properties and the Canadian economy, there still hasn't been any mention of the use of the Emergencies Act to end the protests by the federal government. Hello Canada, it's Friday, April 28th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Trudeau government's online censorship bill has become law as it passed the final stages of voting in the Senate and received royal assent on Thursday evening. Bill C-11, which updates Canada's Broadcasting Act, will subject digital content creators to regulation by the Canadian Radio-Television Telecommunications Commission. Senators voted 52-16 to in support of the bill becoming law. Critics of the bill have argued that Bill C-11 will allow the government to interfere with the algorithms of content that Canadians are able to consume online. A number of content creators, including famed Canadian authors Margaret Atwood and David Adams Richards, have warned against the bill. The government claims that the bill will not apply to individuals who post on social media. A previous Senate amendment to exempt user-generated content from the bill was rejected by senators on Wednesday evening. Well, Andrew, I don't think you or I are terribly surprised that we've reached this point, but I'm wondering, now that we know this bill is going to become law shortly, what's your plan to deal with it? I myself am thinking I'm probably going to be signing up for a VPN fairly shortly, even though I know we've discussed in the past that's not a foolproof method. Yeah, I think certainly people need to do their best to get around this as best as they can. But ultimately, this is only a stopgap. A lot of Canadians don't have the technological know-how to use VPNs. Uh, Oftentimes, I think we're going to be seeing a VPN blocking become a thing, which Netflix has gotten quite good at and other companies might as well. So, And perhaps the government will. Who knows? I mean, the government bans radar detectors in a lot of jurisdictions so that you can't detect speed traps. Maybe they'll also ban VPNs. I mean, the whole point is when the government has decided to go down this road of regulating the internet, it's not hard to imagine all of the other Orwellian tactics they would also invoke alongside it. So I think people need to be very worried here, and I think the stakes are going to be very high for independent media outlets like True North and for the consumers of independent media who rely on being able to easily access these things. I think that when most of us think of the federal government, we don't exactly think tech savvy. If you've ever used a government website or tried to access an online government service or even called and it feels like you're waiting forever, it feels so out to date. But it would be interesting to see here, as you mentioned, if the government is able to do VPN blocking, if they're actually able to step up their game when they want to and to be efficient in that manner. Of course, efficient in the manner that would penalize Canadians simply trying to use the internet. 
I think it's interesting that the government claims the bill will not apply to individuals who post on social media, and yet an amendment to exempt user-generated content was rejected by the House of Commons, by the Senate. That to me is very noteworthy. If they actually were going to, you know, exempt individuals who post on social media, that should have been written into the legislation. I think the terrifying thing with this bill, as with so many other Trudeau government bills, is we aren't actually exactly sure what it's going to look like because they've left so much up to the CRTC. Well, you're right. And, and as I will be talking about on my show later today, one of the uh, groups that has been a big supporter of C-11 has already come out and said the CRTC's regulations, the government mandate needs to go after social media, not just the big tech giants like Netflix and Facebook, but, but even how people use these platforms. So uh, this is not over by any stretch. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev remains steadfast in his campaign pledge to defund the CBC if he becomes prime minister. Uh, well, this has happened, though. CBC's president, Catherine Tate, has apparently requested a meeting with him. At least that is according to a letter obtained through an ATIP request. In the letter, Catherine Tate, who's been the CBC president since 2018 and is based at her residence in Brooklyn, New York, says that Polyev has declined an invitation to meet with her. In the letter, dated November 29th, 2022, Tate writes, Given that during your leadership campaign you publicly promised to, quote, defund the CBC, I would have hoped that spending some time to understand the organization would be useful. Tate claims that Polyev was, quote, falsely accusing our journalists of bias and using CBC as a fundraising tool. Uh, Tate wrote to Polyev on September 16th when he first became leader of the Conservatives, saying it was tradition for new party leaders to meet with the president of the CBC. Uh, the CBC receives about $1.2 billion annually from the federal government. Uh, so let's start with this convention, apparently, of CBC presidents meeting with party leaders. I, this is not something that seems normal, does it? No, Andrew, I've never heard of this happening before. Sometimes what happens is ahead of an election, the party leader, along with some senior staff, will meet with a journalist organization and say, basically, here's how we plan to run our campaign. Here's the people that you want to be in contact with if you have any questions. You know, we're hoping for fair coverage, um, but we're going to do our best to get back to you. But I've absolutely never heard of new conservative party leaders or leaders of any party taking the time to sit down with the head of a news organization's and I'm not entirely sure how that would be appropriate. No, I'm not sure either. And I, I think that Pierre Polyev has decided where he stands on this. And uh, good on him for not going through the charade of meeting with the president of CBC, when by his stretch, the headquarters will be better suited as public housing. It does seem quite bold and, again, rather inappropriate that Catherine Tate even reached out to him to have this discussion to arguably try to influence his policy position and likely to change it and to show him the importance of CBC. We know that he wants to defund CBC other than French language CBC services. So this seems like quite a bit of attempt to influence him on her part, an attempt to influence policy that is going to be conservative party policy and could even be policy of the next federal government. So it's quite a bold move on her part. And I think it just, you know, in recent light of the fact that Elon Musk briefly put government funded tag on the CBC and the CBC was so upset about that. Here again, we're looking at this and it's, you know, not only are they obviously government funded, but they clearly think it's appropriate for them to try to influence potentially incoming leaders to make sure that they keep that funding. So they are so far over the border of what's considered normal and what's considered ethical here. But again, they can't even see the plank in their own eye. As the Public Service Alliance of Canada, or PSAC, continues their strike, federal workers have begun to protest in, quote, strategic locations, end quote. 
with the aim of disrupting the government and the Canadian economy. On Wednesday, over 100 public servants set up a picket line near the Ambassador Bridge. On Thursday, hundreds of federal workers took to Pearson Airport in Toronto, causing delays for travellers who were travelling to access the airport. And in Ottawa, striking public servants set up tables and tents on city property, including the Prime Minister's office, to serve hot dogs. While Ottawa bylaw services issued tickets to the protesters, there has still been no mention of using the Emergencies Act, or even back-to-work legislation, to end the protests. In 2022, the Trudeau government used the never-before-used Emergencies Act to quash the Freedom Convoy, which protested in similar locations and with similar tactics as PSAC. The convoy aimed to end government COVID measures. PSAC is demanding up to 47% increases in compensation over three years, which would cost taxpayers $9.3 billion, according to the Treasury Board of Canada Secretariat. Since the strike began on April 19th, Canadians have experienced delays to many public services, such as renewing a passport, filing taxes, issuing licenses, certification, and benefit requests. Well, we've seen quite a turn on this story here. It seems funny to me. Like, they actually seem to be sort of imitating themselves off of the Freedom Convoy and particularly using a lot of the tactics that we saw first used by the Freedom Convoy, even though we know public service workers were some of the people who were the loudest opposition to the Freedom Convoy since most of them live in Ottawa and are ideologically opposed to Freedom Convoy protesters. So that's just a little bit interesting, a little bit funny, maybe a bit of hypocrisy there. I don't know. But Andrew, is there any precedent for the government to actually invoke Emergencies Act to deal with union strike protesters? Well, no. I mean, as you mentioned, there's no precedent for the government to use the Emergencies Act at all, with the exception of the Freedom Convoy. And I, I want to make clear, I don't believe it should invoke the Emergencies Act. But I, I think what they're doing right now is illuminating this double standard in how government deals with protest, how government deals with disruptive protest. And I, I've had people, when I pointed this out on Twitter, that have said, well, it's not a protest, it's a strike. Well, when they are trying to make a political point, they're trying to get action from government, and they're doing it in a way that that is by design disruptive, I don't think it matters what you call it. You have to look at the outcomes of it here. And uh, right now you have all of the same people that denounce the truckers for their actions, celebrating and cheering for public sector workers as they engage in much of the same stuff. Absolutely. And I initially wanted to laugh when I heard that Ottawa bylaw services were issuing tickets to the protesters. But then when I thought about it, I figured, you know, I'm sure they have protection under the union and I'm sure they are not going to be paying for these tickets out of pockets, which means in reality, we, the taxpayers, are likely paying for these tickets. Another thing that I found interesting about the story is that, you know, the union has been very clear that they are hoping to disrupt the economy. And I'm wondering, is there precedent for that? Have we seen unions strike before and say we're actually going to try to disrupt the economy? Initially, I was a little bit upset when I saw that they were protesting here in Toronto near Pearson Airport, where we both are for Civitas currently. And I was like, oh, great. Are we going to have a hard time getting to the airport? But then I felt a little bit more relaxed, realizing, oh, no, I'm flying home on the weekend. And we all know that they take this issue so seriously that they can't be bothered to show up and strike on the weekends. Yeah, I, I don't actually know. I'm, I'm going to assume that there is uh, some precedent of this. I mean, some strikes, certainly back in the, the heyday of, of labor and the birth of the labor movement, were very disruptive. But uh, not recently do I recall something this widespread. I mean, oftentimes uh, strikers will try to delay things but not shut it down altogether. So maybe they block cars from going into an office parking lot and they let one in every few minutes or uh, maybe they slow down workers. But, but to say, you know, we are going to strategically target this and not just to inconvenience people, but they've specifically said to induce economic damage. 
That's it for today and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.